Leviticus 23 and verse 26. The Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves. I think the implication there is fast. Go without legitimate food. Deny yourselves and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Do no work on that day, because it is the day of atonement, when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Anyone who does not deny himself on that day must be cut off from his people. I will destroy from among his people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall do no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath of rest for you. And you must deny yourselves from the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening you are to observe your rest, your Sabbath. Hopefully you've picked up on the sequence in the, the program that we've set out. Uh, and we're covering three of the seven of these uh, feasts. Last Sunday we looked uh, at the Feast of First Fruits. And this morning we're looking at this awesome feast uh, of the Day of Atonement. The pinnacle of feasts from the Jewish perspective. The final of, uh, of these uh, three feasts that we're looking at, we will cover week Sunday. Next Sunday is a visiting speaker here. And that uh, first Sunday in February will be an all-age service when uh, children will stay in and observe and some may well participate in communion. It's part of our desire to try to encourage the younger generation to think through what is happening when we have communion here as they leave and how they can think through their spiritual pilgrimage, their commitment to the Lord Jesus and baptism and communion and membership and being part of the church long term. And then we'll be looking at the Passover on that occasion. Well, as we mentioned last uh, Sunday, there are seven of these feasts. Just cover them very quickly without uh, too much comment. First of all, there's the Passover, which is a reminder that Jesus died for us. He refers to himself as the Passover. As the angel of death comes, Jesus is the one, when the blood is covered on the lintels and the doorposts, who gives us protection. He died for us to save us. And when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper, people would have that in mind. But often we are disconnected, aren't we, in, in, a, in the Western culture, and perhaps some people don't know a great deal about their Bibles. So that's the Passover. And then the unleavened bread, which has this idea that by faith we feed on Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. As we feed on him, we shall not uh, hunger and then we looked last week at the first fruits, which was a symbolic way of seeing Jesus as the first fruits of the great resurrection from the dead. Powerful, mighty concept. 
superior to all other faiths and religions and concepts since time began. Here is a new order altogether. Jesus is alive. And it's, it's powerful. And we will survive with the resurrected body and meet the Lord and give an account of ourselves, the first fruits. And then the fruit of weeks, which speaks about Pentecost, after the ascension, that Jesus pours out his spirit upon the church with gifts of power and grace and service. And we are here today. Gift of weeks. And then the gift of trumpets. God gathering his people with the trumpet call of the gospel, saying he wants to see a unique people gathered to him, which is the church of Jesus Christ. And then the Feast of Atonement, which we're going to look at in a moment, um, which has the idea uh, of God cleansing his people. And the detail of that is awesome, as we shall see uh, in, in a moment. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles, which reminds us that we are a pilgrim people, that this is, this is not our goal, it's, this is not where it's all at. This is what we have, but we have embarked upon a pilgrimage, the Feast of Tabernacles, God's blessing on his people. Well, those are the feasts, and for the purpose of time, we're looking at, at three, and we're coming now to uh, this uh, Day of Atonement. And I think that, that hymn uh, is, is a fitting introduction to it. The Day of Atonement is heavy. It's, it's eerie. It's full of trepidation for uh, the, the, the Jewish people. Is God going to bring reconciliation, real forgiveness on this awesome day. But why? What is the need? What's the purpose for atonement? Well, essentially there are three. First of all, there is the universality of sin. Sin is a cosmic problem. It's a global issue. Go anywhere, anytime, any culture, any language, any people, and you will face imperfection, the Bible calls sin, in varying degrees. Sometimes shocking and horrendous, like we've heard, heard in the news of those two brothers and the things that they did in a, in a family that was toxic, according to the, the judge. And yet, for all of the background and these damaged children... They are still held responsible, even by the law of the land. We see it sometimes in its evil reality. Often it's mild and innocuous. The universality of sin. And sin is serious. If it's not serious by us, and it certainly isn't by society, it is by God. He takes it seriously. And if he does, we should. And if we don't, we will give an account. And the third reason that we should think about atonement is this, that man cannot deal with the problem. We tried, often seriously and, uh, and sincerely, but the situation is too big, too difficult to handle. Man left to himself would destroy himself. And we will never know until this journey of life is over, God's restraining hand upon people. And people will repent too late when they will try to ask the question, where was God? That they will know. The Day of Atonement, then, is a big deal. It's a big issue. 
And all I want you to do now is to turn back a few pages to Leviticus 16, where it's dealt with fully. You'll see Leviticus 23, all the feasts are dealt with in one chapter. Now, this chapter 16 deals with just one, the Day of Atonement. And it's a long chapter, and all I'm going to do is to make some, some references to this. So, there you... Uh, there you have it, uh, the Day of Atonement. Uh, the tragedy in the family of Aaron, that his sons were rather blasé about sin. They entered into the holy place and they died under the judgment of God. And Aaron now goes in with fear and awe before this terrible God, the God of love. And what I'd like us to do is to have seven quick points. There will be quick, I promise you. And with some cross-references. Now, you have to do a bit of the work now. Often in a sermon, you can sort of sit back and say, yeah, I'm, I, I can listen passively. I would like you now consciously to listen actively and try to make the connection yourself. Otherwise, we'd be here for a very long time. So, what we have is seven appointments that comes out of this one feast, the Day of Atonement. First of all, number one, the appointed purpose. We've alluded to this already. The appointed purpose of this ritual, if you like, uh, and you have it in uh, Leviticus 16 and verse 30, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from your sins. There you have it in a nutshell. Uh, Leviticus 16, verse 30. That is its essential purpose. Now, can you imagine how presumptuous it would be to say, actually, I'm okay. I don't need cleansing. I'm okay. The, for the Jews, this is the Yom Kippur, the equivalent for uh, Christian people, the day, of the, the day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, is Good Friday. And again, it's almost... A contradiction, isn't it? What's good about a crucified Lord? Not for him, but for us. What good is it talking about sin? For us, yes, not for the scapegoat, as we shall see. For there's a transferring of our guilt on to the animal. And then we see it in a, in a fuller picture, as we shall in a moment. It's interesting that in Leviticus 16 alone, there are 15 references to atonement. Just mentioned all the time. This is the one thing, atonement. And all that the Old Testament, this sacrificial system, detailed and specific as it is, if you were to, to read it for yourself, is this, that it would cover. It's the literal meaning from the Hebrew of the word atonement, to cover it would cover the sin of the people. Now what we have in the New Testament, and this is where I want you to turn and keep Leviticus 16, turn right to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and to see now through the lens of the New Testament, this feast. Okay? Look at Hebrews chapter 10. So I'm saying to you that this appointed purpose is to cover the sin of the people. Contrast that with Hebrews chapter 10. This is page 1207 in the church Bibles. 1207. 
Now contrast that for a moment through the lens of the New Testament. Hebrews 10 verse 1. Think about the Day of Atonement. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, Day of Atonement, note, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, why would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder, Day of Atonement, of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Therefore, and enter Jesus Christ who sees himself as the great scapegoat. Do you see it? Now you make the connection. That is a shadow. This is the reality. And that is why I think this essential hundred, giving you a much bigger picture, is very helpful, even for people who have been going to church for a very long time. So you see the contrast and the connection. This appointed purpose is not to cover sin, but to remove it once and for all. Secondly, the appointed time. Come back to, and keep your finger in uh, Hebrews uh, 10, uh, to Leviticus 16 and verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain. That's the Holy of Holies. He's not going to say, well, I fancy going to church today. I think I'll just amble along. No, no. Tell him not to do that. Or else he will die. Because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. That's quite something, isn't it? It's the appointed time, the appointed purpose. Now this happens just once a year in the life of the children of Israel. Only once a year, and only one person in the whole of the nation, the high priest, could enter the Holy of Holies, and only in a certain prescribed way. And this is repeated year after year. Now let's make another contrast. Come back to Hebrews. And this time Hebrews chapter 9. Let's make the connection here as well and then we'll be able to go a bit quicker. Hebrews 9 verse 24. Think about Aaron entering into the Holy of Holies, the high priest once a year. Now make the connection. Hebrews 9 verse 24. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary... That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest. No. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Christ, then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared, look at this, once for all, at the end of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now do you see what he's doing? He can make the connection with the Jewish mind so quickly. It's much harder for me, harder for us, because we need to fill in the gaps. And uh, obviously you could re- read, read the rest. And, and, and it helps us 
perhaps when we prepare, when we think about communion and how we relate to that, how, how these things join together. It's the appointed time. Thirdly, the appointed place. There it is. It is the most holy place. Leviticus 16, verse 2, what's called the tabernacle. It later became the temple. This was for a pilgrim people. It, what is it? Well, supremely, it's the place of sacrifice. It's the place of sacrifice. Now, wouldn't it help us now? It helps me as a preacher, you as, as, as a believer, that, that the supreme place of sacrifice, you're in a Baptist church, would we say, oh, we could say the supreme place is baptism. That's where it's all at. Well, that's not where the New Testament's at. Or you might say the supreme place would be the temple, or it would be the Sermon on the Mount, which has impacted so many people. But that's not where it's at. The appointed place. It's not the Judean streets of Samaria and en route to Jerusalem. No, where miracles took place. Some people would say if we have miracles today, people will repent and turn to God. The appointed place where we have an encounter with the living God is not at baptism, not at the temple, not in the miracles. Not in the parables. It's at the cross. It is pivotal. It's the place where we encounter God. And when the sermon's over, we will sing, Oh, teach me, Lord, its meaning. The cross uplifted high. What is it about? Teach me. Teach me. Fourthly, moving a bit quicker, the appointed person. Look in verse 17, for instance. Um, verse 17. No one, this is coming back to Leviticus 16, verse 17. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement for the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself. <coughs> By the way, although he's a high priest, he's a sinner too. His household, though they are, I'm sure, very nice, they need forgiveness too. And the whole community of Israel, even though they're a covenant people, yes, they need forgiveness too. Everybody does. Everybody does. And he is the appointed person. And this was something that he had to do alone. He couldn't take a companion with him. And he becomes the great mediator as the high priest, not just a priest, the high priest between God and and the people. And of course it's, it's a much bigger picture now of our supreme, our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, between his father and us. And he has an interesting thing. If you can picture Jesus for a moment, not Aaron. Look at verse 4, just to try to make the connection what this priest is to be like. I mean, he has these gorgeous, colorful, highly symbolic robes like many people in the high church have. And they, they, they claw themselves very sincerely. They say, this symbolizes that, that symbolizes, this means that, the incense is so and so and such and such. That's what it was like. Now, picture him then. Verse 4. He is to put on 
He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash round him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. He must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. And so on and so forth. Now, what is Paul saying to the church at Philippi? Turn to Philippians 2, you remember it. It's, it's the original uh, hymn, isn't it, that survived from the early church. Look at Philippians 2, page 1179. So here is this priest. He takes off these powerful garments and he puts on these white, humble linen cloths which speaks about his own humility. Now then, what is Paul saying to the Gentile church? Possibly there aren't many Jews in Philippi. Might be some. Philippians 2 verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Aaron. No, that of Jesus Christ. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Could you imagine the high priest coming out and giving them a lecture on how they should live and, and how terrible they are? That's a very human thing to do in, in a hierarchical way of thinking. But this is the great humility of Jesus Christ. Our attitude shouldn't be like that at all. Verse 6. In being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made a human likeness, found in appearance of a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross and so on. You see it. And everywhere, everywhere, these connections are made. Perhaps we need to see the, the original so that we can make the connection with uh, the Lord Jesus. Moving on very quickly then. Uh, fifthly, the appointed price. There it is summed up in one word. Today, the appointed price, if you want something done, is money. There, the appointed price, blood. Pure and simple. And some people are perhaps of a more sensitive nature, find this quite offensive. There it is. Blood. Eighty-six times in Leviticus alone the word is used. You see it all the time. And this must be a bit tough for animal lovers uh, or vegetarians. Look at verses 11 and 12 uh, of Leviticus 16. Aaron shall bring the bull out for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense. Take them behind the curtain and so on and so forth. And this symbolically is to now rise as a fragrant offering to God. Pungent, spicy, and sacrificial. It is interesting that uh, verses 11 and 12 and a reference in the book of Acts has been slightly misinterpreted by the Jehovah Witnesses. And uh, if there was a need for a blood transfusion, uh, they would refuse on the grounds of what is written here. So it, it can be a pitfall for people as how, how you understand all these things. But what is it saying to us? Essentially what it is saying to us is this. 
that if you are a Christian this morning, that you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, then he is for you your great blood substitute. That's it. Your blood substitute. He is your advocate with God. And he pleads your cause on the merits of the blood that he shed upon the cross. The appointed price. Life. Life. There is life in the blood. And sixthly, the appointed procedure. It's one thing if you take time to read um, Leviticus 16, just to see how all the detail is there. Nothing is left for chance. Nothing at all. Look at verse uh, 11. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. Look at verse 13. He is to put incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. For he cannot look on God and die. There needs to be some veil, something. And look at this, verse 14. He is to take some of the bull's blood with his finger, sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover, then he shall sprinkle some of it on his finger, seven, with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. Now, pause there for a moment and, and we'll, we'll stay with this. Um, then you are introduced to two animals. You'd say, well, isn't the bull enough? Verse 15, he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain, the holy of holies, and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in the front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the, for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and the rebellion of the Israelites. Whoever, whatever their sins have been, he is to do the same from the tent of meeting which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness and so on and so forth. Let me try to explain this very quickly. When the high priest comes back to the altar, there are these two goats. The bull is dead. There's been this sprinkling seven times. Seven, a symbol of perfection. God's character, God's nature. Everything is prescribed he goes to the first goat and it is killed. And then he does something interesting. The priest comes to this second goat and this time he brings him out before the people. And then you can picture him robed in, in these magnificent colors and all the people would know what the symbols mean. He would put his hands on this goat and pray. And it was a transference. All their sin put on this goat. And then a, a person appointed with refreshments on this day of atonement. There they are. The people are meeting. It will be taken out, out, out into infinity. Beyond them seeing it. And then the appointed servant would return in the course of time. And they would see that, that now... Their sin has gone forever. 
like that scapegoat. Uh, that word has survived today, hasn't it? We use it in a different way. Many people are talking about uh, the interviews with Tony Blair of the Iraq War. There are scapegoats. Somebody's to blame, and it's never me. But here, you see, the scapegoat. And as you will know, when Jesus was crucified outside the city gate, taken outside, and again, people with a Jewish mind would make the connection in a way that we find quite difficult. Two goats were together. One called the sin offering, the other called the scapegoat. Turned loose. So Jesus Christ, he goes back to heaven. And John was right. When he introduced him, he could have introduced him as, look, the scapegoat for mankind. The same thing, the Lamb of God who takes away. He didn't say who covers. He takes it away. He takes it away. Christ's sacrifice, it does not cover. It removes finally and completely. And the release of the scapegoat pictures that truth for us. That the sins of the people are taken away. And the psalmist captures that, doesn't he? He says, as far as the east is from the west. That's pretty far. So far as he removed our... And he uses a big word. Our sins, not our accidental ones. Our deliberate sins, our transgressions. So far has he removed them from us. And finally, we come to the appointed response. Well, there you are. The sermon's over, in a sense. Now, what is, what's our response? Just turn back to Leviticus 23, which really is a summary of all that we've tried to look at in uh, Leviticus 16. Verse 28. Yes, it says, Do no work on the Sabbath, because... It is the day of atonement. When atonement is made for you. There it is. Pure and simple. It's made for you. And in a way, there is nothing that you can do. Nothing at all. Other than one thing. Respond to this God who comes to you and offers reconciliation on the merit of the blood that's been shed, which is Jesus Christ. And he becomes our substitute. He is my scapegoat. He is the one who takes away my sin. And I respond to him. Salvation is not how good I am. Or how much I pray. Or how much I give to the Haiti uh, appeal. All of which is good. Or how much I do and what I am and all that. That surely is important. But first and foremost, I respond to him as a sinner in need of a saviour. And he comes to me in his word, in the power of the Spirit. He comes to me and he asks me for my response. He says, it's all of grace. It's all of grace. This is God's gift to us. Grace from beginning to end. Try to picture Jesus Christ offering himself. You know the way that the hymn writers, they, so many of these hymns are full of this. Particularly the older ones, not so much the modern ones. In my place, condemned he stood. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Some of those hymns are not politically correct, but they are correct within Scripture. 
And what has political correctness got to do with the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ who loved the world that he came and gave his life as an offering? And that surely lies at the very heart of the gospel. And that now you and I are his representatives. God forgive us for our guilty silence, our standoffishness when, when people are imperfect. How easy to criticize others rather than to commend the Savior to them. Say, you know, but for God's grace I would be where you are. What a difference that would make with people who, whose marriages are struggling, whose, 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 whose children are rebelling. He asks us, through the good news of the gospel, come to me, trust me, and be to me a healing presence of hope in a despairing world. Do you see the implication? That is our response here and now, but out there in the brokenness of life. Atonement, the Anglo-Saxon word means a coming together at one of people who were polarized at variance with one another. And our sin had driven us from God. And he comes and introduces the great substitute, the great scapegoat, Jesus Christ. And what you sh should you do? Trust him. Trust him. Confess that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And ask for his forgiveness again. And have a living encounter with this living Lord. After the day of atonement, Moses spoke to the people. And this is what he said in the book of Deuteronomy. Today, I am giving you a choice. You can choose life and success or death and disaster. Right now, I'm offering you this choice. And Moses urges the people, choose life. Be faithful to the Lord your God. Love him. Do what he tells you. The Lord is the only one who can give life. And that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ.